A reading from the Acts of the Apostles. After Paul escorts had taken him to Athens, they came away with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. Then Paul stood up at the Areopagus and said, You Athenians, I see that in every respect you are very religious. For as I walked around looking carefully at your shrines, I even discovered an altar inscribed to an unknown God. What therefore you unknowingly worship, I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all that is in it, the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in sanctuaries made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands because he needs anything. Rather, it is he who gives life to everyone and breath and everything. He made from one the whole human race to dwell on the entire surface of the earth. And he fixed the ordered seasons and the boundaries of their regions so that people might seek God, even perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since therefore we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the, the, that the divinity is like an image fashioned from gold, silver, or stone by human art and imagination. God has overlooked the times of ignorance, but now he demands that all peoples everywhere repent because he has established a day on which he will judge the world with justice through a man he has appointed. And he has provided confirmation for all by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to scoff, but others said, we should like to hear you on this some other time. And so Paul left them. But some did join him and become believers. Among them were Dionys, a member of the court of the Areopagus, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. After this, he left Athens and went to Corinth.
nós fobes com. Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Johannem. Jesus said to his disciples, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear it now. But when he comes, the Spirit of truth, he will guide you to all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak what he hears and will declare to you the things that are coming. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Everything that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I told you that he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. Verbum Domini. First reading today is from Acts chapter 17, and it's it's worth reading again. It's a rich, rich scene in Paul's life, <clears throat> where he is in Athens, and they they skip a couple verses here, but it says, you know, in Athens they people spent their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And Paul is walking through this area of town where they have all these shrines, these little like mini Parthenons. It's still there today. And he sees this shrine, this altar to, to an unknown God. And so they have multiple gods. And in case they missed one, they, they leave it open. And he says, you are a very religious and it's true, like even to this day, like you go there, I got to go there a handful of years ago and, um, and the Parthenon sits on top of the Acropolis overlooking the modern city. And it's, you know, it seems like most of it, it's been destroyed throughout the centuries. But they have a spectacular museum at the foot of the Acropolis and I was watching an instruction video there and, and they talked about how the Parthenon, which was a, a big temple to, I forget if it's Athena, and, but it traded hands throughout the years. At one point it was dedicated to Our Lady. <clears throat> but they said that the Parthenon was alive and, and it sort of pops at you when you, you, you go up and take the tour of the Acropolis and you go around the corner and you see it. And there is something about it, the way it's designed, I guess, there's hardly a straight line on it. The things are curved or, it's all built to, you know, in accordance with perspective. And it, and it you know, the perspective that our site has of it to, to make it seem I don't remember all the details, but it, it just, there is something different. Even if you look at other structures similar to it, 
the Parthenon, even in being blown to bits practically, um, just has this pop to it that's just uh, like it's alive or something. And it really is amazing what that culture produced. Because I think the Parthenon was built like 500 BC, and it was using uh, like realistic sculptures. I mean, in the top of it was all these different statues of gods. It had this realism that the Renaissance had in Italy around 1500 AD. So they were doing sculptures 2,000 years before Michelangelo was doing them in this very realistic, beautiful way. And I think it was motivated by their religious drive, you know, to do these great works of art and, and produce these incredible structures. You know, it's a powerful motivation in us that we're religious beings, that we want to find God, we have a sense of God. I heard it described recently that a, a child will approach the world with a sense of mystery and awe. As adults, we approach it oftentimes as a problem to be fixed or solved, right? We use sciences and try to explain things. And we lose that religious sense maybe as we get older, it's still there, but in children it's very much at the surface. <clears throat> and I think it's true about our culture today in some respects. I just read the other day that the wellness industry is four and a half trillion dollars. You know, we're seeking, you know, how to have better health, diet, weight loss, nutrition, personal care, beauty products. And it's interwoven with a do-it-yourself spirituality. Some of it gets very weird, very new agey, trying to tap into, you know, universal, the energy of the universe or something, and, and they bend over backwards to kind of find this spirituality. And I want to say, you know, come to the Catholic Church. You know, we have the Eucharist, we have the sacraments, we have scripture, we have prayer. We stand on the shoulders of giants in the spiritual life. People that have gone before us can tell us principles of spirituality. So it, four and a half trillion dollars is spent on this, and it gets wacky. So that is in us. And I think even for those of us in the church, we still can experience that, that ache for something more. You know, we still want to find God. I, last Yesterday we interviewed this author on Life on the Rock. I went to the CFRs and he recounted the story of a, he was on a plane and met a woman that was, uh, had just spent 30 days in rehab for alcoholism. She's returning to pick up her two young children she was raised nominal Jew, had a bad experience, 
and was just completely overwhelmed. How am I going to stay sober? How am I going to raise these kids? You know, the difficulties that her life presented. She was divorced. And he told her on the plane, <laughs> in the most simplest way, that, you know, God is the other out there. He's a personal being. He loves you. He's not obsessed with your past. He's merciful. He wants to help you. And the same thing you can do with your life is to turn yourself over to him to receive, you know, his presence in your life. And he was saying that, and I thought, you know, that, that applies equally to me, even being in the church, you know, wanting to find God in a deeper way, wanting to trust him, you know, to really realize that he gives to everyone, as St. Paul says here, life and breath and everything. Do we live like that? We think of in Genesis <clears throat> that the wind, you know, blowing across the waters and things, and that wind, that pneumonia, that, that breath of God in the first creation, and then in the Easter appearances, right, Jesus appears to them in the upper, upper room and breathes on them, that he is recreating the human race that has fallen, distorted by sin. He's breathing to give us his life that we can share in the divine nature. As Paul cites here, he says, therefore, you know, some, we are the offspring of God. You know, even some of your poets say, say this, you men of Athens, even you all claim this to be offspring of God. In him we live and move and have our being, that he is all around us, he is there for us, and he's called us to share in his life, to be recreated in a sense, to be partakers in the divine nature. But he breathes on them in that Easter appearance to give us that breath, to get us breathing, right? If you think about that, every breath you take, you know, is given to us by God. It, you know, God breathes into the nostrils of Adam, we're told in Genesis, to give him life, imparts to him a soul, to get him moving, to make him alive. Jesus is doing the same thing in the spiritual life, because we're his children, God's children, and we are to depend on him as we need breath. And I think that's a call to conversion for all of us to have that kind of dependence on God, to realize that he gives us our very breath and the problems and the issues that we face at times that can be overwhelming, you know, he is there for us. He's all around us. We live and move and have our being, and he's given us his breath, that Holy Spirit to transform us, to share in his divine nature. He dwells within us. If we turn to him and let him be God in our life, to recognize him, 
But sometimes we can treat him as an unknown God, right? But he is truly there for us. And I think what makes it hard for our culture, you know, Paul gets pretty tough with the Athenians. God has overlooked the times of ignorance, but now he demands that all people everywhere repent because he's established a day that he will judge the world. That repentance is so hard for us, I think. You know, a call to change our life. I have my ways of doing things, my ways of thinking, and don't ask me to change. I'll design my own spirituality and bring God along as long as he makes me comfortable and at ease and stuff and does my will and fixes my problems. But don't ask me to conform to his teaching, to his gospel, to his way of doing things. <clears throat> but thankfully, he does call us to something better. He calls us to something more than what we come up with. And he's giving us his life, a new life, He's confirmed all this, as Paul says, by being raised from the dead. And this is where the Athenians back off. Wait a minute, Paul. <laughs> the resurrection from the dead? You know, what are you talking about? You know, at the foot of the Acropolis, they have this Areopagus. It's a big rock. And I guess they were so used to hearing new ideas and wanting to debate them, they had this place where they bring Paul and discuss this with him. I have a high school friend that lives in Athens, and I, when I was there, I met up with her, and, and she told me that, not referring to this passage, but she said the Greeks, they just love the debate. They have barbecues and debate politics and everything under the sun. It's like still in them, you know, that we, and it, it's still in us, I think, you know, that we want to find God. We want to find him in a deeper way, and it's a call to have faith to recognize him, that he's He's all around us, dwells within us, gives us this breath of life, that we're called to be his offspring, his children, that he's the one giving us an identity, that we can try to find it out in the world in some way, defined by how much we have, how much we do, our abilities or talents. And we miss that simple fact that we're children of God, made in his image and likeness, called to be part of the family of God, called to recognize him as father, to live by his way, his teaching, to live in the house of the father. That's what he offers us. And our call is to have the faith to receive it, to believe it, you know, and to live according to his plan, to, according to his will in our life.